You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I'm broadcasting from the Vivid Seats studios. Make sure you're using promo code overtime in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. Today is officially PFF Day. I do want to touch on a couple things first, um, which is good because we already covered all the stats for PFF. If you have not heard that, go back and find it. Got a little bit more of the in-depth stats. But um, with the rest of the games done, with the exception of Monday Night Football, those grades are not up, but that's fine. I don't care. We've got a little bit better of an idea of where everybody stands. I also want to look at Football Outsiders, see kind of where they're at in terms of overall rankings. Before we get into the player grades for Week 4, which obviously, at least defensively, is going to be discouraging, but that's fine. We already know that going into it. If you would like to help or support the podcast, there are several ways you can do it. Number one would be to help to share the podcast. Let the people on Reddit know. Let the people in other Facebook groups know. Let your friends and family know. The world needs to know, man. Otherwise, a five-star iTunes rating and review would very, very greatly help the show. If you don't have or use iTunes, there's always Stitcher or uh, use whatever it is you're using. See if they allow you to either subscribe, leave a rating, review, whatever, and go ahead and do that. That would help me out a lot. There's also patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can jump in there for as little as a buck a month just to help out a little bit. Um, I do occasionally post some things in there. I haven't in a while, but if I do some kind of special spreadsheet thing for the show, I'll throw that up in there. Um, it also will get you into the CBS Pick'em Pool. And if you're looking for something super, super special, check out the Charles Woodson tier, and uh, you can get yourself into the Pack Daddy Premium. I was going to post a video in there yesterday, but I, th- my brain got locked up as I was talking, and then I just got frustrated and said, forget this whole video. But I do want to talk a little bit about what I saw, because yesterday what I wanted to do for the first time is just look at the passing game and see what exactly is going on, and if the passes are working, why, and if they're not, why. So very briefly want to talk about that as well as a couple other tings. But why don't we go ahead and take our first break, and we'll start talking about stuff. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the first thing that I noticed, and I here's the problem is, is my frame of reference. I don't exactly know. First of all, if I were to go back and look at other teams, look at the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the whatever, it doesn't matter the team, how often is this the case? Second of all, I don't know how encouraged or discouraged to be um, because this is good or bad depending on how you want to read it. But going back and watching that game, there was almost no play. And I mean literally there was almost no play in which somebody wasn't open. Now, I understand this is the Eagles, which does make me want to go back and say, okay, how did it look against the Vikings and the Bears? I'm sure that wasn't exactly the case. But in almost every single play, there was somebody wide open. Now, the reason I say that's encouraging and discouraging is because everybody being wide open is a great thing. Suddenly, I'm not as worried about number twos. I mean, Jimmy Graham wide open. I mean, guys are just constantly open. Jimmy could have had a much bigger day. Devontae could have had a, a, a really, really big day. Pretty much every time Aaron Rodgers didn't stare him down, he was open. And so it's encouraging. The, 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 the question I have, and I can't put every single one of these on Aaron Rodgers, because there are times, I mean, if you're going through your progressions, you're just, either you're not getting there in time, or let's say you're looking to your right, and they're covered, and then you look to your left, and by the time you move to your left, the person on the right got open, stuff like that. And, and, and be not being the coach, I don't understand exactly how this is supposed to work. The timing in that situation seems to be a bit off. Was that the first read, or should that have been the second read, if it's going to take that long for him to come out of his break or whatever? Obviously, there's also the element of pressure. If somebody's getting pressure as somebody's coming open, that's not Aaron Rodgers' fault. It's still good news because somebody got open, and it's not bad news because Aaron Rodgers didn't mess it up. But there were definitely situations where Aaron's kind of keying in on somebody that didn't need to be keyed in on. It was funny because as I was looking at it, I was thinking, I can't even be really mad at Aaron Rodgers because there were several times he's just dumping it off to his check down when there's a guy open down the field, and I can't be mad at him because we've all literally been screaming at him for a year to just throw it to the to the check down when it's available to you, and now he's doing it, and now I'm mad because Marquez was wide open down the sideline, could have hit a 30-yard pass, and instead you dump it off to Aaron Jones for four, and then we, we end up going three and out on the drive. Like, come on. And it's got to be frustrating for Aaron, and there has to be a better process. There has to be a better way to think through this process. I don't know what it is, but I'm really thinking and hoping. And again, maybe this was a one-off. Maybe most games guys are covered 24-7, and so this isn't that much of an issue. But this should at least be something good enough for the tape to look back on and say, okay, we got to work through this, because this should have been an absolute blowout of the Eagles. There was never a drive where things should have stalled out. Now, the red zone is a little bit of a different situation where things start to get compressed. I do think that there were situations where he tried to force it to Devontae where he probably shouldn't have and should have went somewhere else. I know there was two situations where he had it in his mind he was going to Devontae, and essentially what was supposed to happen is Devontae looks like he's going to play into the flat to hopefully draw the corner back up, and then he's going to try to go, you know, shoot up and go over the corner's head into the back of corner of the end zone. Well, the corner never bit. He's like, no, I don't think so. I'm going to hang back here. So Aaron Rodgers is looking, 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 waiting, 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 sees the corner isn't going to be doing anything. He's like, all right, forget this, and goes to his right, and at this point the play is broken down, whatever. But again, it's it's one of those situations where it's good and bad. It's hopeful because I'm looking at it saying, man, oh, man, these guys are open a lot. Because you can't see from the television angle. I see a bunch of guys running. You, I envision in my mind a very compressed area where there's nowhere to go, and how do you scheme all these guys open? Then you go watch, and you see how giant the field is and realize, man, there's a lot of space out there. And there's just consistently guys open. 
and very rarely does Aaron Rodgers throw it to the most opportune guy. I mean, there, there were so many really, really big plays that didn't get hit. So again, it's, it's good and bad, and, I, and I'll have to look into more of these things, and hopefully this is something that we can kind of iron out and Aaron can, can look into, and uh, blocking for him a little bit better is going to help because you can't hit the deep ball without blocking. But um, the, the only thing that is somewhat discouraging is that I have to think that Aaron should be able to, to anticipate who's going to come open based on what he's seeing in front of him. Right, Based on the coverage, you should know if I wait two more seconds, this guy's coming wide open in the middle of the field. And instead, I'm going to throw it over this way. I'm going to throw it you know, to the wide receiver one yard down the field who's going to get hit immediately, and now it's third and nine instead of first and ten from their six-yard line. So I, I, I don't know. Again, good and bad. Encouraging to see that Matt LaFleur is getting guys open a lot, but discouraging that it's just not working that Aaron is, is not getting them the ball. Whether it's his fault or not, every time, I don't know. But that needs to be better. We, 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 they're, they're, <sighs> as a percentage, if you're getting guys open that much, there should be much better production. And that, that's saying a lot, considering that the stats were already pretty high. But, you know, we lost the game. So, yeah, I'm going to say we should have done better. I mean, this could have been a 40-point game. should have been 45 to 31 or whatever nonsense number they had. 34. So anyways, I'm, I'm going to try to record that so you guys can see what I'm talking about in terms of missed opportunities and um, how nice it is to see guys getting open. And it, it kind of gave me a little bit more hope in Jimmy because you can kind of see him running past these linebackers, just storming past them. And it's like, man, that is a big boy just flying wide open down the middle of the field. The ball didn't get there, but that is something that I really, really appreciate at this particular point in time. So not giving up on that connection quite yet. Secondly, there is a constant question about Stephon Diggs and um, Emmanuel Sanders. Not necessarily to me, but just kind of floating out there in Packers land. Although I did get it asked directly about Stephon Diggs. Um, I will say, based on what I saw yesterday, no. Now, again, I don't know if this is a one-off or what, but if the problem isn't getting guys open, it's a matter of getting the ball to the right guys, we're not going out and getting Stephon Diggs. Beyond that, Stephon Diggs is going to cost a lot of draft capital. He's going to cost a lot of money. I have serious concerns about his maturity because he kind of acts like a child. And I just have general concerns about the salary cap if we go out and do something like that. It's already getting tight, but we're also looking at a situation in which we have a lot of high-priced people looking to, you know, whose contracts are all going to be expiring around the same time. We hired a ton of guys that are sitting on big four-year contracts. We also have to figure out how we're going to start getting more money to David Bakhtiari, to Kenny Clark, to Devontae Adams, guys that are going to be coming up on contracts. We may be looking to re-sign Brian Balaga. I just think it's somewhat cost prohibitive. I mean, of course, the answer in a vacuum is yes. I would love to have Stephon Diggs as, as a player um, and, and, you know, just based on talent to come in and be the number two wide receiver. That would be lethal. And if I'm wrong in my assessment and ultimately MVS just isn't getting the job done or whatever then okay. But it would have to be a situation where I'm looking at this saying Stephon Diggs is the difference between a Super Bowl and a non-Super Bowl. I mean, really. I mean, not that you can ever project that, but, you know, our ability to win is predicated on finding a number two. In other words, we will not get there without him. We absolutely could get there with him. Now, I guess the kind of good news is the fact that he's actually under contract for some time and that means that, you know, it, it, it doesn't get into a situation where you got to start talking about, man, is he going to be like a, a $17, $18, 19000000 million guy? No, in 2020, he's 14 and a half. Now, that's still a lot of money, but it's not, you know, 
it's not super crazy, especially if we end up moving on from Jimmy Graham after this year. You know, we're, we're more or less breaking even with Stephon Diggs in, in 2020. And essentially the, the structure, I mean, we would have him through 2023 because that's the terms of his contract, although he'd probably be looking for a bigger contract at some point if he's going to contribute. So we got to watch out for that. He's going to end up being that holdout guy that says, you know, I'm, I'm getting all these yards and all these stats and Devontae's making 19 million, 19.5 million a year. I demand a better contract. I'm not going to sit here and make 15 million which granted is going to be kind of garbage. So this would actually be a relatively cheap contract as I'm looking at it. 15 million in 2021, 15 million in 2022 is going to be comparable to about 12. And then 12 million with zero guarantees in 2023, which is going to be like an $8 million contract. So yeah, he's definitely going to be looking for an extension. The the benefit to us is after 2021, we don't have to care. If he starts kicking and screaming about wanting more money, we can cut him and uh, save $12 million on the contract. I mean, we, we could save instantly. I mean, we could sign them this year and cut them next year, but it's $9 million in dead money. That's not super great. 2021 is $6 million. 2022 is only $3 million. And actually, I don't even know, I don't even know if that's true because I don't know if this signing bonus gets carried over to us. I don't think it does. So I don't know if there would be any dead money. So the question is, would he want a new contract or a reworked contract of some sort but that's not really up to him, right? I mean, if we do a trade, he's a Green Bay Packer, and that's it. And if he wants to play the holdout game, well, then I guess he's just out the money. I don't know, because we can cut him, and it would cost us essentially nothing, I think, because I don't think he has any guarantees left on his contract. I think it's all just paying back the prorated bonus, which sticks with the Vikings. I think that gets accelerated to the Vikings, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how that works. I'm pretty rapidly talking myself into this all of a sudden. <laughs> I, the, the the price really isn't bad, especially if we're not really looking at a dead cap situation and we can cut them pretty much at will. And the cost isn't that much. Again, $14.5 million is nothing for Stephon Diggs, who could legitimately be a top 10 wide receiver. The question is, what would the cost be? If the Vikings start talking first round pick, get out of my face. There's no chance in the world. I don't know that I'd want to give any more than a third round pick. And I know that they probably wouldn't accept a third round pick. I don't know if they'd even accept a second round pick because they understand the talent level. So maybe the compromise would be a second. Do the Packers want to give up a second? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say no because, again, he's he's young. He's 25 years old. You'd have a really talented wide receiver on your roster for, you know, the remainder of 2019 and then the next four years. The next question would be Emmanuel Sanders. I, I've been pumping him up for a while. I think the biggest problem with Emmanuel Sanders is the fact that you're getting a similar type of of situation he's just going to be a little bit older so the only reason I would want to do Emmanuel Sanders despite the fact that I think he's actually potentially a better wide receiver um, he's a guy that you can put in the slot which I think is nice we can keep Marquez on the outside put Manny on the inside the biggest problem or potential see you could say it's a benefit because it's just a one-year patch but it's not really a benefit because we'd have to give up draft capital for him and this is why Stefan Diggs would probably be really expensive because they understand how great that contract is the problem with this is how much do I want to give up for a one-year Band-Aid for a guy that's 32 years? I mean, am I going to give him another contract for $13, $14, 15000000 million? I don't want to do that. He's 32. He's going to be 33 next year. So, I mean, he would have to come really cheap. I mean, the, the Denver Broncos would have to realize they're in teardown mode and give him to me for like a, a sixth-round pick or something, maybe a fifth. Because it's not just about the talent. It's about, you know, giving up draft capital, which is drafting somebody for the future for like a half a year rental? No, I mean, you just you just don't do stuff like that. 
So this would have to be a situation in which we would want to extend him. But I don't know how many years you'd want to do that, especially the Packers don't seem to. That doesn't seem to be their MO. So I'm, I'm a bigger, it, again, in a vacuum, if we're just looking at this, Stephon Diggs or Emmanuel Sanders, just for 2019, I would rather have Emmanuel Sanders. Price is the same. Everything's the same. I'll give me Emmanuel Sanders. I, I like that he's a can play in the slot and outside. I think he's a better player. I think he's a much more mature player. Extremely underrated. But if I had to make a trade for a player, even at the higher cost, it would probably be Stephon Diggs because it just makes more sense. We'd have him locked up for the rest of Aaron Rodgers' tenure here. That would be the direction that I'd want to go. But I, I don't think we're going to do either of those things. Those are just my general thoughts. Anyways, let's take our second break, and we'll look at what PFF and football outsiders have to say about the Green Bay Packers so far this season. So right now, Football Outsiders is actually pretty complimentary of the Green Bay Packers. They currently have the Packers ranked 6th in total DVOA. Now, if you use their quote-unquote Dave rank, which takes into account pre-season, I don't know, projections, they're ranked ninth. But they actually went from 10th last week to 6th this week. I don't know exactly how, but they did. But something else to note is that there's a pretty big drop-off between 5 and 6. So you got the Patriots who are way, way up there, and then a massive drop-off down to Dallas. Then a, a, you know, mediocre drop to San Francisco. Then you got another drop down to Kansas City and Baltimore. And then a really, really big drop down to Green Bay. And then, a, you know, Green Bay and Seattle are kind of in, a, in that area. So you got Green Bay, Seattle, the Rams, and then a drop-off down to Buffalo. And then it just kind of runs from there. But overall, 6th is, is pretty solid. And again, ninth in terms of their Dave rank. Oh, I see. They haven't updated this yet. So this is back when they were 3-0. and So this is worthless. Got it. Get with it, football outsiders. Um, offensive rank, they have the Packers 20th. That will probably go up a little bit. Maybe not because the running situation was so abhorrent, but because of the passing, I don't know, maybe. Defensively, they were ranked 3rd. That is going to absolutely plummet. Not going to elaborate anymore because, again, they're not up. they haven't updated this yet. Via PFF up to this point, the Packers are ranked 8th overall. Probably saved by the fact that a lot of teams really, really did not look very good. Um, The number one team actually overall um, has usurped the New England Patriots is actually the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, this includes after their loss. The Patriots have a much better defense than the Dallas Cowboys do. However, offensively, the... um, the Patriots, especially after that terrible loss, that they, or not loss, they won, but that terrible performance against the Buffalo Bills kind of dropped them offensively. And so the Dallas Cowboys are now ranked number one overall. Offensively, the Packers are ranked 17th, ahead of the Bears and ahead of the Vikings, but behind the Detroit Lions, who are currently ranked 7th on offense. In terms of uh, passing grade, the Packers are ranked 10th. Again, a strong performance from Aaron Rodgers, the receivers, the tight ends, and everything has obviously helped boost that up. Philadelphia Eagles, number one in passing offense, by the way, which would be comforting if that's how they beat us. Pass blocking, the Packers are 12th. That's something that is definitely lower than usual, and um, a big part of that has to do with the fact that David Bakhtiari has just not had a good year so far, and it's kind of inexplicable. I know it's been a tough group of guys, but a lot of these guys have been lining up against Brian Balaga, who's been handling it, and who's actually graded out higher than David Bakhtiari, so I'm a little bit confused by what's going on with him. Receiving grade, the Packers are ranked 15th. Obviously, Devontae, and we'll, we'll get into the specifics of what happened this past week, but Devontae is doing fine. It's really just everybody else that's kind of lacking that's causing them to be low, but it's still a good grade. They're in the good category. The top 18 teams are all good, and then it goes down from there. Run grade, the Packers are ranked 25th. It's just an absolute nightmare. It's a mess, um, something that is really, really not comforting. 
the Philadelphia Eagles are ranked 24th. Now, run blocking, on the other hand, they're really, really high. They're by far the number one team. So that you got that we got that going for us. But still, the Packers are struggling. The Bears actually are dead last in that category. The Lions are ranked 20th. The Minnesota Vikings are third. Run blocking right now, the Packers are 20th. So it's bad. The run blocking is, is bad. And with the running backs not being graded very high, we just have a situation in which we're not getting any yards ever. And that, as I said, it really needs to be fixed. I don't know that the offense is ever going to get its full potential if that doesn't get fixed. Although, again, based on what I saw yesterday, we can pretty much just throw every play and it'll be fine. Defensively, um, I think I mentioned, maybe I didn't, the Packers are ranked 10th. The Bears are actually ranked 2nd on defense. The Vikings are 5th on defense, so very, very good defenses in the NFC North. The Detroit Lions are 16th. Uh, Specifically, run defense. The Packers dropped all the way down to 29th because of how absolutely horrible, pathetic, disgusting, terrible that performance was. Pretty impressive considering the the Packers are 10th overall, but that was was just terrible. And and Matt LaFleur went on to say that the gap assignment was no good. Again, we'll get into the grades, but it was just especially run defense and tackling. It's a very, very serious problem for this team. Speaking of tackling, the Packers are 27th, which I think is them actually climbing the rankings a little bit, which is pathetic because the grade is in the 40s and it's really, 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 really bad. We are one tick ahead of the Miami Dolphins, so allow that to comfort you at night. In terms of pass rush grade, I know last week wasn't great, but the Packers are still sitting third overall in the um, in the NFL. The Chicago Bears are number one. Vikings are ranked 15th. The Lions are 25th. So Bears defense is still getting it done. Overall, they're currently ranked second where the Packers were prior to this terrible performance and dropping to 10th. The Vikings are now 5th. So it's kind of shaping up the way that it was. And if this continues, we're going to have the NFC North of last year all over again, where the Packers end up being 28th or whatever it was. The Bears are number one and the Vikings are a top five, top 10 defense. So this needs to stop. Coverage, fortunately, the Packers, uh, like pass rush, are still pretty high. They are fourth overall, number one in the NFC North. The Vikings are ninth. The Bears are 10th. The Lions are 11th. So nice little... Nice little collection there. Special teams. The Green Bay Packers are ranked 26th. It's not good. Now, that doesn't just mean J.K. Scott and and uh, Mason Crosby. They're looking at our snapper. They're looking at our blocking. They're looking at our coverage and everything else. We allowed a pretty big return last, last week. We had Mason Crosby kick the ball out of bounds last week. It's a lot of nonsense. So that absolutely needs to get cleaned up as per usual. Um, again, just looking at grades because we did stats already, we'll start with the bad news, uh, which is the defense. The only player who had a good grade, and it was a very good grade, literally the only one. So you got you got 90s, you got 80s, you got 70s. Only one guy was in that category. That's Kevin King, which is great except for the part where he was probably one of the worst run defenders and tacklers on the team. But his coverage was graded as elite. So that's awesome. Keep that coming. And can we just get a game where we have Kevin King and Jair play well? Week one, I think it was Jair. Week two was Kevin King. Week three was Jair. Week four is Kevin King. Each one of those alternating weeks, the other guy wasn't very good. Um, as far as, so we, we only had eight players that graded out as average or better. So one was very good. Seven were average. Javon Williams, Kingsley Kiki, props to him, by the way, for being the third best player in his first week playing. Not that he was good, but you understand. Uh, B.J. Goodson, which is actually really, really huge. He didn't play very much, but we'll get into specifics. His run defense and his tackling was through the roof, and man, do we need that right now. Uh, Then Tyler Lancaster, Chandon Sullivan, Fatal, Brown, and Preston Smith. These were our average players for the day. 
After that, we had Jair, Amos, and Kenny Clark as below average. Yep. I mean, that's how you know things are bad. When you got guys like Jair, Amos, and Clark as below average, this is not going to be a good day. Uh, bad Josh Jackson, Blake Martinez, Rashawn Gary, um, Will Redmond, Zadarius Smith, and Darnell Savage. And then absolutely terrible, horrible, no good, disgusting, gross, Kyler Fackrell and Dean Lowry. As far as run defense, we had one very good, which is B.J. Goodson, one good, which is Will Redmond. Again, a, a situation in which these are your top run defenders, not a good situation. We only had six players that were average or better. Six out of 19. The guys that were below average, Tremont, Preston Smith, Blake Martinez, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark. Um, and and that, that, I mean, that's, that's it, but that's huge. Preston Smith is supposed to be our guy against the run. Blake Martinez is literally the definition of our guy against the run. Rashawn Gary, right, blowing up the play, right, blowing up run plays. That's, that's kind of his whole thing. Kenny Clark, one of the best run defenders and defensive tackles in the game, had a bad game. and was, I just, ugh. I mean, credit to their offensive line. That was a great performance. But that was, that was ugly. Um, bad run defenders, Jair, Zadarius, Amos, Savage, and then... Horrible, ugly, no good, terrible. Dean Lowry, Kyler Fackrell, and Kevin King was last. Tackling, we're starting to see a bit of a turnaround. And what I mean by that is there's pretty much the entire team was actually good or very good in tackling, but there were still four guys that were just putrid. So our two very good tacklers were Blake Martinez and Will Redmond. Our good tacklers, Amos, Goodson, Preston Smith, Tremont Williams, Jair, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary. And then the guy, so those are all 70s and 80s. There was nobody in the 60s, nobody in the 50s, nobody in the 40s, nobody in the 30s, four guys in the 20s, Kevin King, Dean Lowry, Darnell Savage, and Zedarius Smith. Come on now. Pass rushers, we only had two that were considered good, Kenny Clark and Preston Smith. Unfortunately, good is not good enough when you are Kenny Clark and Preston Smith, but I guess I'll take it in this game. A um, whole bunch of basically average. Nobody was really bad, but a bunch of below average. Uh, Zedarius Smith was the worst pass rusher, which, again, this is just this is this is opposite day. This is the worst case scenario. The guys who were supposed to be good against the run were the worst against the run. The guys who were supposed to be our pass rushers, Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary, were two of our worst pass rushers. Just really, really ugly. Coverage again. We had Kevin King in the elite category. Tremont held his own and was good. Adrian Amos was pretty decent. Uh, a whole bunch of average, including Jair Alexander. The bad guys in coverage: Preston Smith, Blake Martinez, Darnell Savage, Josh Jackson. And then Will Redmond was just absolutely horrible. So, you know, again, we got Darnell Savage had his first bad day in coverage. It's just across the board, like, it, it just seems like everybody had their bad day at the same time. Everybody's bad day was in one week, which is fine. Get it out of the way. Do not do this again next week. Terrible, horrible, no good, putrid. Let's look at the offense, which I, I, I swear I must have never looked at the offense before because this isn't very good either. Yikes. Anyways, it's very similar. We had one elite player by the name of Devontae Adams. Big shocker. Uh, we didn't have anybody in the very good category, but we had uh, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Rodgers, and we'll call it Mercedes Lewis was close enough in the good category. You know, again, this is going to be a situation where everybody looks at Aaron Rodgers' stat line and freaks out, but I'm telling you, just watching what I saw a lot of the time, I feel like Aaron Rodgers was not getting the ball where it needed to go. Good enough to get the ball somewhere, but when we're going three and out on a, on a drive in which two of those plays that went for incompletions, he didn't throw it to wide open guys that would have been automatic first downs. I don't know how good of a grade I can give him on that. 
Uh, guys that were below average, Danny Vitale, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Brian Balaga, and Darius Shepard. Uh, our bad player of the day, Mr. Billy Turner. And our absolutely putrid, horrible, horrible, terrible, hopefully we never see him again player was Alex Light. In terms of passing grades, Devontae Adams and Mercedes Lewis were fantastic. Devontae was elite. Mercedes was in the very good category. Aaron Rodgers was the one good guy in the passing game. A handful of average, below average, Danny Vitale, Marquez, Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Darius Shepard. Our pass blockers, very good pass blockers. David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Danny Vitale, Corey Lindsley. Good pass blockers, Lucas Patrick, Brian Balaga. Average pass blocker was Elton Jenkins. Terrible, horrible, garbage pass blocker, Billy Turner and Alex Light. Beyond that, we got putrid pass blockers, Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tanya. Uh, the only person who had a good run grade was Aaron Rodgers, which kind of highlights some of the problem. And then finally, in run blocking, again, Geronimo Allison is just the guy. I don't know how, because the very first play of the game I saw got the run got blown up because of Geronimo Allison single-handedly. He must have rebounded after that. Um, otherwise, David Bakhtiari was actually good, which is great. That's good. That's encouraging. Elton Jenkins, again, was pretty good. He's been pretty consistent. He had a bad day. I mean, not technically bad, but bad for him, considering it was average day in, in pass blocking. That needs to be good every single week, but he's been pretty consistently a, a good run blocker. Otherwise, below average is pretty much the whole team. Uh, Marquez, Devante, Vitali, Lindsley, Balaga, Tanyan, Turner, all below average pass blockers. Uh, bad pass block, or excuse me, run blocker, Mercedes Lewis. Terrible, horrible, garbage run blocker, Alex Light. Looking on special teams, nobody really stood out. Uh, Geronimo and B.J. Goodson were pretty good. Guys that were bad, um, we got Hunter Bradley, Ty Summers, Will Redmond, Danny Vitale, Fatal Brown, and then really, really bad Chandon Sullivan and Robert Tanyan. Return grades, I mean, Tremont Smith was relatively low, but who cares, he didn't have very many opportunities. Kicking grades, J.K. was pretty average. Mason Crosby somehow was average despite kicking the ball straight out of bounds, which should automatically put you in the 20s. I just, it's inexcusable. But anyways, again, this is a sort of encouraging slash discouraging situation because PFF is looking at this game going, nobody was really that good. I mean, Devontae was unstoppable, and Kevin King was really, really good in coverage. Outside of that, and And, you know, you could look at it and say, well, maybe the Eagles just did that to him. Yeah, but I'm not buying that. Kenny Clark doesn't get done like that by anybody. This isn't a situation where maybe they're just that kind of a team where when they go up against even decent talent, they're just going to get shut down. I don't buy it. These guys are better than that. They need to take this long week to get rested, get recovered, get healthy, and figure something out. They need to play better because Dallas is just, I mean, it's just a dominant team. Again, PFF has them as the number one team in the NFL right now. So anyways, that's going to do it for today. Folks, have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.